Okay, before we get started today, I'd like to make a quick announcement. Over the last several years, I have spent a lot of time working with investors just like you. Investors who have started their business, got it off the ground, got a little bit of momentum, but just don't know how to scale up from there. They don't know how to take a small business doing a deal here and there and really systemize it and scale it up in a profitable way. I have been helping people for so many years do exactly that. I did it in my own business first, and then I helped other people replicate that success in their business. And my announcement to you is that I am ready to help you do the exact same thing right now. I have developed a program that's called the Seven Figure Investor Blueprint. And it's called that because I wanna take you from wherever you are in your business right now and help you ramp it up into a seven-figure profit business. You can do this. I know you've told yourself that you wanna do it. And for whatever reason, it's just not working out. But I wanna teach you things like how to market, to find the best deals, how to analyze those deals, how to negotiate with sellers and wholesalers to get the best possible deals how to get those deals funded, whether it's private funding, hard money lending, whatever. I wanna help you understand the best way for you to fund those deals, and then how to structure those deals for maximum profit. And then finally, how to build a team around you. You don't have to do everything in your business. And in fact, you shouldn't be doing everything. I don't do everything in my business and it runs really, really well. In fact, it runs better when I'm not trying to do everything. And I wanna teach you exactly how to do that. All you have to do, if this sounds interesting to you, if this sounds like something that you must do in 2022 to reach your goals, go to sevenfigureinvestor.com. That's the word seven, sevenfigureinvestor.com. Sign up. I want to help you this year achieve all of your business goals, but you have to go and sign up first. It's seven, the word seven, figureinvestor.com. I cannot wait to see you inside the program. We are going to do great things this year. My professional career was about eight weeks. Okay, uh, <laughs> nice. Well, that that teed it up nicely. Let's 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 uh, flesh this out a little bit. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate today. I'm excited for this episode. I'm excited for the show. And I'm excited for you guys to be able to be a part of it. Uh, I have on the show today, Ashley Tisson. He is a, an attorney and an entrepreneur focused on helping real estate investors reduce their tax liabilities. He calls himself the Opportunity Zone Sherpa working with investors who focus on places in the US where over 30 million people live and work called Opportunity Zones. He is the co-founder of ozpros.com and just helping hundreds and hundreds of real estate investors uh, save hundreds of thousands and sometimes even millions of dollars in taxes. And before you hear the word tax and, and get a little bit like zone out, like don't do that. This is something you need to hear. Uh, this is a way for you to really, really help hold on to 
not just make, but hold on to more of your wealth in a way that is super cool and is is not really understood well enough in our community. And so I brought him on to try to demystify and really make this as simple as it can be. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this one. Check it out uh, and listen at the end. There's some cool things that he has for you to help you really ramp up your knowledge of this area. And also he has a done for you uh, kind of a model. So it's really, really cool to hear what he's got going on. And it is such a huge benefit for us real estate investors that I think you simply must listen. So without any further ado, I give you Ashley Tisson. All right, Ashley, thanks for being on Just Start Real Estate. I really appreciate your time, man. I appreciate you doing this. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I can't wait to do this. Uh, we had a nice conversation before we jumped on here live. Um, you seem like a ton of fun and somebody I could definitely uh, talk to and get along with. I asked you a question how prior to going live that I wasn't sure I was going to ask you on the air, but you seem completely open to it. So I'm going to do it uh, because if you are listening closely or if you look up the show notes, uh, you will see that Ashley is in fact a man, uh, a huge man. Uh, and I'm wondering what what is the story there? How, how did you end up with the name Ashley, which is typically attributed to females? Uh, you are yeah, not. Exactly. But, yeah, uh, exactly. but I'm, curi- I'm curious. This has nothing to do with real estate. This is not going to help anyone's business. This is my <laughs> own childish curiosity that I'm satisfying right now. So I was born back in the days before the MRIs that could tell sex. And so (laughs) I had, I guess I had a really fast heartbeat. So they thought I was going to be a girl. And so my mom picked out names and she wanted to name me after, uh, she, she liked the name Ashley. And so then when I came out as a boy, she's like, listen, she's like, I really like Ashley. And the root of that is from Lord Ashley Cooper, who founded Charleston. Okay. My family is from South Carolina back forever. So she's like, listen, I want to name him Ashley. My middle name is Davidson. And she's like, Ashley Davidson Tyson. That sounds like a judge's name. Yeah. And my dad was like, listen, you can name him whatever you want. He's like, but I'm not having a dude running around in Indiana named Ashley. So we're going to call him TJ because I like the initials TJ, but I can't think of a name that has initials TJ that I like. So you can name him Ashley. We're calling him TJ. And so literally, I, w- I grew up my whole life being called TJ, like all at, you know, until the first day of school. And then the first day of school, they'd be like, oh. Ashley Tyson. Everybody look around and they're like, oh, where's the cute girl? Yeah, right. And yeah. then I'd raise my hand and they're like, wait, your name's TJ. And then they'd be like, some invariably somebody would be like, Ashley, that's a girl's name. And I'd be like, I'll see you in the parking lot after school. <laughs> and uh, so, so I got, you know, I, I got the benefit of being the boy named Sue, right? Wow. And not only, you know, obviously I had a couple scraps and they were, they were fairly harmless, but uh, it, it built character from an early age because I had to tell that same story because they would always ask me, well, why do you go by TJ if your name's Ashley? So I'd literally have to tell that story the first day of school every wow. year since I was in kindergarten. Oh, that's fun. That's fun Good after times. five Good years. Times. <laughs> so it was all fun and games, right? Yeah. So it was all great. And you know, I didn't mind a problem if scrap or two after school until my sophomore debate class when I got my invitation to Miss Teen America hand delivered by the vice principal. And I was like, come on, man, that's not even cool. Oh my God. And <laughs> you, can't, you like, can't kick his butt. That's not okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, and so he he literally comes in and he's like, uh, he's like, uh, Mr. Tyson, he's like, I'd like to give you your invitation to Miss Teen America in oh front of the whole class. God. And I'm like, dude, you're killing me. <laughs> oh, man. So, good times. Wow. 
That is interesting. Um, never dated a girl named Ashley because that'd be hilarious. Uh, and man, it just gets better because my first girlfriend, <laughs> her name was Ashley. You're kidding and me. No. And my buddies would run up behind us and they would be like, Ashley. And then they'd wait for both of us to turn around. <laughs> oh, man. They just die laughing. And That's so hilarious. Uh, there's a whole nother. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, th- so that, that thankfully, you know, and as these usually high school relationships, they don't turn out. Yeah. So I can only imagine if we had ultimately ended up together, I would have definitely have had to have kept going by TJ, maybe even had to change my name because that would not have worked. (laughs) No. So do you go by Ashley now? You don't go by TJ. I do. And, uh, you know, so I, after I graduated law school and started litigating, I, you know, I had to sign pleadings. And so telling that story to opposing counsel, (laughs) not so fun. What was interesting though, is when I'd show up for court and they would have gotten all my correspondence from Ashley. You could see the disappointment on their face when they would call the roll call and I'd stand up at six, eight and like yeah. two fifty, And they're like, oh man, I was expecting five, eight hot blondes. That's hilarious. So. That's hilarious. And I know I, I'm going to ask you a little bit about your, your background, but um, I have here a note in my notes about you that you were a division one athlete. What sport did you play? I was a basketball player. Basketball. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I was guessing basketball or football. So I played at uh, I played at Air Force Academy, and then I played at uh, UNC Charlotte uh, nice. when we were actually pretty good, and we went to the tournament twice while I was there. Nice, and uh, and then I ended up playing with a professional team over in Germany for a little bit. Really? As well. Oh, yeah. was that what was that experience like? It was fantastic. I mean, and best summer of my life. Unfortunately, their idea of a living and my idea of a living were two entirely different things. And so I said, listen, I'm going back. I'm not foregoing my senior year. I'm going back to school. I'm finishing out and then I'm going to law school. Nice. And so my uh, my professional basketball days, well, and I couldn't technically get paid because I was over there between my junior and senior year. Mm. And uh, but my professional. My professional career was about eight weeks. <laughs> okay, uh, nice. Well, that that teed it up nicely. Let's 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 uh, flesh this out a little bit. Sure. Who you are, where you come from, and give us some idea of from that past. What what got you to where you are now? Like, what? Why did you choose the profession you're now? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So, um, yeah, so my I grew up in Indiana and uh, played basketball, and uh, ultimately ended up going to to UNC Charlotte. And while I was there, I was I studied international business, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do after college. And the my mom was in law school at the time. My uncle, two of my uncles were attorneys, and I was like, "All right, you know, I can't, you know, the job market wasn't all that great." And I'm like, "I'm just going to go to law school, and then I can kind of kick the can down the road on this, and I can figure out what it is I want to do with that law degree later on." Yeah. And interestingly, is that I kind of ended up doing that, but I did it on the job as an attorney. And having a law degree is a great, you know, tool for you know for being able to do that, where it opens the doors up into lots of different stuff. Right. So I practiced with a big firm for five years, and I got out of that, and I went in house with a commercial real estate developer and tenant and common syndicator. Hmm. And then when the commercial real estate market crashed, I went back to practice in law, and I built up an M and A shop where I bought and sold businesses and helped people do the same thing. Really. And uh, and then I sold that law firm in 2017 because I got sick of seeing these business owners that had built up this huge empire, you know, give almost 30% of it to the government. Hmm. And I said, with a little bit of tax planning and with a little bit of intentionality and foresight, we could significantly reduce that tax bill. 
So I started doing succession planning and tax mitigation strategies. And as I was doing that, stumbled on this thing called Opportunity Zones. And when I, when I heard about it, I was like, holy cow, that's like 1031 and private equity got married. I'm in. And so in May of 2018, I popped up a website. And within two weeks, I had 150 inbound inquiries and $75 wow. million dollars worth of capital looking Wait, for deals. just from a website? Or did you do some marketing around it? Literally just from the website. Get out of here. Well, just so from build the website. it and they will come. That You actually made that happen. Everyone I mean, says was, that can't happen. And I, I did it as kind of a test, you know, to say, and, and we did a little bit of keyword search, right, on Google. Yeah, sure. But I wasn't, I didn't have any videos on it. I yeah. didn't have any kind of outbound marketing or anything like that. Okay. And it was that in demand relative to what people were looking for that we were like, okay, we're on to this. And so now what do we do with this? Yeah. And I said, well, it matters. You know, this, this program marries up perfectly with my background. And so I need to help people figure out how to do it and how to implement it themselves. And when I had sold that law firm, we had built up a software program that allowed us to do a main street level business transaction for a, fa- a fixed fee. Okay. And so I said, let's repurpose that software and let's put that to work in the opportunity zone space and let's become the legal Zoom for opportunity zones. So I got partnered up with Jimmy Atkinson, who's host of the Opportunity Zones podcast, and that's what we did. That's awesome. And so yeah, Very since cool. then, we've kind of become more of than LegalZoom because inside of LegalZoom, you got to have a fair knowledge about how to actually do the forms. And when you go to do these forms, it's a little bit more complicated to, than that. And so yeah. we ended up having to put in a, a really complex and robust educational product to really teach people how to do this. Okay. And then, you know, to to walk people through and to actually do it uh, to walk that road with them. All right. Let's take one quick step backward here and let's let's for the people who are like, oh, this sucks. I don't know what opportunity zone means. Let's 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 dial in that definition a little bit. What is an opportunity zone? So and I'm actually going to share my screen on here and and to pop to this. And if you're on, if you're watching video, it's I think it's handy for the visuals. Cool. But opportunity zones were created by the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017. And basically what they said was they let each governor designate up to 25% of their low-income census tracts all across the United States and in the territories. And when you invest into an opportunity fund, the first benefit that you get is you get to defer your taxes until December 31st, 2026. And so by putting your money and dropping your cash into an opportunity zone fund, you immediately get deferral on that. You used to get a second benefit, which was a step up in basis, and but you had to be invested for either seven years or five years prior to this December 31st, 2026 deadline. Okay. So this benefit actually expired in 2021. Gotcha. And it was really interesting how that capricious deadline forced so many people into actually doing this deal. But when you really look at it, it's kind of a rounding error. People ask me all the time, well, I heard that this is done. I'm like, no, it's not. That was a rounding error when you compare it to the third benefit, which is a permanent exclusion of gains tax via step up in basis to fair market value. So after you've held your fund investment for 10 years, when you go to sell whatever your fund owns, you're going to get a step up in basis to fair market value. And that's significant because it not only eliminates capital gains taxes, but it also eliminates depreciation recapture. 
And so that those are the three benefits. And so effectively, if you think about that from a real estate investment perspective, you get to take a taxable asset and you get to take what you would be paying taxes on, whether that's selling real estate, whether that's selling cryptocurrency, whether that's selling a business, whether that's selling an appreciated baseball card. Right. It doesn't matter where the capital gain came from. And it can also be short-term capital gains too. And you can take that money and you can invest it into a qualified opportunity fund, which is basically just a partnership. Yeah, And you can set this up on your own. And then accordingly, you hold that for 10 years. And then whatever that partnership owns after those 10 years is going to come out tax-free. So during those 10 years, you can actually, and it actually, you can hold it all the way up until 2047. So you could use cost segregation studies. You did a podcast on one of those. Mm -hmm. And, and what that means, you can do that cost segregation study, use the depreciation to offset the income while you're holding it for the 10 years. Mm. And then the trick with cost segregation is that when you sell before the makers has run, right, before it's caught up, you pay depreciation recapture. Yep. Or even after it has run, you still have zero basis. And so you pay capital gains taxes on that. Well, not an opportunity zone. It eliminates all of that. And so it becomes a really powerful tool for somebody that wants to build generational wealth and has the opportunity to be able to do some stuff that's actually in the opportunity zone track, in, in a census track. Got it. Okay. So can we, uh, and I'm sure hopefully you can, can we plug some fictitious theoretical numbers into, into this whole explanation you just gave me so that it, it makes a little more sense for people who need to hear actual uh, a case study. It doesn't have to be exact and, and we can be general, but how would this affect someone in a specific theoretical investment? What does it look like for them? Like actual, you know, sure. practical application. So, and we've, we've done that in some different samples, right? But let's just use a million dollars. So sure. let's say that somebody has a million dollars that they've got, that's, um, that they have got a capital gain of a million dollars. Okay. Yep. They're going to put that million dollars into a qualified opportunity fund within 180 days of the gain. And it's a little bit longer if you've had the gain from a partnership or an S-corp. So normally, they would pay $238,000 in taxes in the next year. So they would normally pay that in 2023. Okay. But they're going to defer paying those taxes and now until 1231 of 2026. Okay? Yep. So instead of investing $762,000 into their new deal, right? They're now able to invest a million dollars. And so accordingly, you know, they are then able to get the benefit of investing the government's money, right, into whatever it is that they're doing. And that's that's the benefit on the deferral. Okay. Then the real benefit is that after, so let's say they just invested into qualified opportunity zone property directly. You can also invest into an active operating business. doesn't have to just be real estate. But when they invest into that, they're going to, after 10 years, be able to sell that asset. So let's say that they put that in. You can also use bank financing. So you can borrow money from a bank. Hmm. And so on your million dollars, you could put, you could probably borrow up to 9 million bucks, right? And do a $10 million deal in the opportunity zone. And then you could depreciate 
out, usually around 40% of that. So you could have roughly $4 million of bonus depreciation that comes off of that to offset the income taxes that are coming. Yeah. So if you're making 5% or 8% on that deal, you can use pretty much you can, all of that money is going to come back to you tax-free via that depreciation offset. And then at the end of the 10 years, let's say that it's doubled in value. Okay. So, and usually over 10 years, you're probably going to get closer to like two and a half X. So let's say that. Let's say it's $25 million that you sell it for. Okay. You're going to put all 25 million into your pocket tax-free. And so I mean, that's, are you kidding me? That's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah, totally amazing. amazing. So let's talk a little bit, especially for someone who doesn't know anything about Opportunity Zones prior to this, right? Yep. How can they participate in in all of this if they don't know anything about Opportunity Zones other than what you just said, right? Like, hey, I want to get involved. You keep talking about this fund or you know, funds that are involved. Are there places you can go to just say, hey, I want to like look at different Opportunity Zone investment uh, vehicles and and choose one? Is it is it like that? Do you have to be an accredited investor? Do you have to any of that stuff? Like, how can people say they go it, for someone who's listening and saying, I don't totally understand, but I'm in. This sounds awesome, and I have a little bit of money that I can utilize. What should they do first? So if they want to invest in somebody else's fund, they can absolutely do that. So we've got a list of those at opportunitydb.com. That's opportunitydatabase.com. And there's a list of available funds inside of that. And they've got, you've typically got terms and what they're investing in and that kind of thing. I think that right now there's probably like maybe 15, 1600 of them that are out there. So then it becomes a function of, okay, well, how do I separate through yeah. the wheat from the chaff? Yep. We also, so, and this is my partner, Jimmy Atkinson. He does this. He's got a, a OZ pitch day where it's actually coming up on March 29th. If you go to Opportunity DB, you'll be able to sign up for that. And you can watch all these pitches from these funds and kind of get a feel for what they're offering for your investment. Okay. If you're not interested in doing kind of more of a retail investment, in most of those deals, because they are 506C offerings, typically you're going to have to be an accredited investor in order to invest in that. Can you briefly just say what that means? Like accredited, what does that mean? Sure. So that means you have either a million dollars of net worth or you make more than, I think that the threshold right now is $200,000 a year. Okay. And so there's thresholds that you have to make so that that way... The government says, okay, if you make this amount of money or you have this amount of cash, then you should be sophisticated enough to not be worried about losing some investment that goes right. into this. Yep. And so it allows the offerer an exemption under the securities rules that they don't have to go through all of the hoops that you yeah. would if you were just trading in the stock market. Sure. And so, and we could talk about that separately about doing an offering because the great thing inside of this is, is that you can actually do an offering, right? Your listeners could do an offering to raise money for their opportunity zone deals. Typically, they'd probably want to go down that direction of some kind of exemption under the securities laws. Yeah. And so the if you don't want to do a more retail offering, you could do an investment into your own fund. And you could set up your own. It's literally an LLC tax as a partnership. And that's what we do at OZ Pros. Like our passion is to democratize access to this, to provide education. So we've got a, an online community called the Ozworks Group, which is about 300 people strong. And it's a virtual 
you know, kind of co-working space where people can learn about opportunity zones. They can look at deals. They could talk to other people in the business. And, uh, and then inside of that, I have a, like a four hour educational product. Uh, and nobody wants to watch me for four hours talking about this stuff. So well, they will we, initially when they see yeah. Ashley is hosting it. And then, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then, the, and then they're going to be sorely disappointed, right. kind of like opposing counsel. Then right? they're going to be stuck just learning. And they're like, oh man, this guy, <laughs> this learning. guy for four hours. So, and, and then we also help people set up their own captive funds where they want to do this on their own. They're like, hey, listen, I've got uh, you know, $100,000 a gain and I want to do my own deal on a single family uh, rental that's in an opportunity zone. And so we walk them through all of the ins and outs about exactly what they need to do in order to accomplish that. Okay, that's huge. You just hit on something that I know people are thinking because I, I was kind of thinking it and and I know very little about opportunity zones. I know something. But I think when people hear opportunity zones and all this, they think that it has to be this like, development project of the city block or this whole area, like you can do it on a single family home that happens to be in an opportunity zone, correct? Absolutely. Nice. And so now there are some requirements. So you do have to call it, you have to have a substantial improvement of the asset, which means that you basically have to double the value of the building. So if you buy a piece of property for $200,000 and the building itself is worth 50%, of that, then you're going to have to put another $100,000 into improving it because they wanted to make sure that these the people weren't just land baking in the opportunity zones. And so there are, a, you know, some requirements, some requirements and nuances like that, that you just have to be mindful of. But yeah, you could absolutely do it on a single family rental house. So let me ask you this. You said you have to double the value, but then I'm listening to the, I'm listening to the nuance here. Then you said, if you buy it for a hundred, um, you have to put a hundred into. It. You have to double the value. Do you have to? Do you have to put in in improvements what you paid for it, or do you have to just? In other words, let's say I buy a house for a hundred thousand, but at the time I bought it, it was worth one hundred and fifty. Okay, and I put fifty into it, and it's legitimately worth two hundred thousand dollars. I didn't put double my money in, but I did improve its its objective, you know, comps that around it. It's now a doubled what what I bought it for. Cause because in real estate, you know this, I'm sure you work with a lot of people. You can buy a house that's worth a hundred. You can buy it for 40 and put 15 into it and it's worth 120, right? Because sure. that's just the value. You just happen to get it at such a great deal that it's easy to have only half of what it's worth. You know what I mean? So it's so it all depends on the breakdown of what the building is worth versus the land. So if you were to buy this for a million dollars, right? Okay. Or we could use 40,000, right? Let's just say that it's $40,000. And the building itself is worth, let's call it $20,000 because it's worth approximately 50% of the value of the aggregate purchase. Okay. You're going to end up having to put another $20,001 into it. And it doesn't it doesn't matter about what the value ends up being. It matters about what the building is worth mm. at the time that you buy it. Interesting. And so uh, th- that's the key piece. And you can determine that via appraisal, or you can extrapolate from the tax records. All right. And so, so let me let me. I'm going to go back and annoyingly ask you a kind of the same question in a different way. Sure. So is it about the value when you purchased it 
versus the value when you're done improving it? Or is it more tied? Because in your example, you bought it for 40, the, the, the building was worth 20. And so you have to put 20 into it. Does it matter how much you put into it? I guess is my question. It as does. long as the value, the appraised value is where it needs to be. Nope. And so it doesn't matter about the appraised value on the okay, back end. Okay, okay. It's all about the cash that Got you actually it. put into it. Got so, it. Okay. And you could do it in a couple of ways. You could put an accessory dwelling unit on the property. You could put additional square footage. Or if it's an Airbnb asset, the stuff that you buy for the tables, chairs, lamps, that kind of thing, that counts towards your substantial really? improvement. Yeah. Like, really? Couches and yeah. beds and lamps count toward sure. that improvement? So I helped the guy buy That's a crazy. plantation uh, down in South Carolina is an old, um, it was actually a timber property and they they turned it into a, like a duck hunting venue mm. where they run duck hunting operations and fishing trips. And so they need Polaris's to, per, to take the people around. They need a boat to take people out fishing. Hmm. All of that counts towards their substantial improvement requirement. Wow, that is revolutionary in in our world because normally that does not count toward it. Nobody nope. cares about these you know these things that just you know basically lose value the minute you buy them. So that's that's really cool. So what, what can they're a, trying to do, and 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 maybe this is a good color on it. They're trying to make it so that there's some kind of activity in the zone, and so yeah. if you're bringing in new stuff. They look at that as activity, even if it is a depreciating asset. Gotcha. And so bringing an Airbnb asset to these areas would be very attractive because you're going to bring Airbnb tenants. Yeah. You're going to bring the people that actually come and use that stuff. So even if you bought, I'm just, now I'm going to ask stupid questions, but these are what's in my head. So even if you bought a house, let's just use our example for 40,000 and the, 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 the house itself is worth 20 and we put a $20,000 pole barn and don't even touch the house. That that qualifies. That works. Wow, that works. Yeah, that's amazing and kind of really cool, actually. So okay, so let's just use let's use more like California numbers. We buy a house for half a million. Okay, yep. I don't know in California if the land is literally worth half when we're talking about residential real estate. But let's just say it is. It's worth two hundred and fifty. The house itself. That's what it's valued at. If you take the land away, and let's just say. You do hundred thousand dollars worth of improvements, not two hundred and fifty, and the the value of the home is legitimately a million dollars when you're done because of the improvements. That does not qualify because you didn't not. spend two hundred and fifty. You have to spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I got you. Okay, two hundred fifty thousand and one dollar. Okay, and one dollar. Okay, gotcha. You have to spend more <laughs> than the value. You spend of the, more. Of you got to double property. the basis plus a dollar. Gotcha. That's that's super cool, and I think it's honestly like it's cool for everybody. Let, don't get me wrong, but. And people who live in, in areas like me in the Midwest, it seems infinitely easy to to do that, especially if you're ripping out the... When you said they take out the value of the land, and by the way, how do you know the value? What do you tell people if they buy a house in Midtown USA for $100,000, how do we know the value of the land for sure? You just have to go and look at comps of, of vacant land. Is that kind of the, the move or is there a website There's that just tells you something? I wish there was, okay. man. Man, I could send a lot of traffic to that website. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm working on a national appraisal company that could do this. So okay. you can either get an appraisal done okay. and have the appraiser do it. But when you do that, you need to make sure that the appraiser values the building for its current state, yeah. not replacement value, because replacement costs like on insurance can usually be astronomical. Sure. You want this value as low as possible. Yep. Or you can take the, the tax records and whatever 
the breakdown is inside of the tax records between land and building, you can extrapolate that out to your purchase price. Okay. So if they say that it's 60-40 between the building and the land, then you take 60% and you apply that towards your purchase price. Gotcha. And then that comes up with your number that you need for the substantial improvement. Okay. And then the million dollar question is, once you finish this and you have improved the property to 100% of its value plus $1, who is the person or entity or Who's the entity that comes in and determines whether... Because I could be wrong, right? I look at the tax records, I extrapolate it, I do my thing, hundred, you know, 101%, and then somebody comes along and says, you did it, that's not the value, you totally screwed that up. Like, how well, do you know? The great thing about this is, is that you don't... And this is the, one of the most fantastic things about the Opportunity Zone program, is that you do not have to ask permission from anybody. There is no governing body that comes and checks up on you. There's no... You know, so you just report to your CPA. This is what I did. I, this is exactly. the improvements I did, and please apply all benefits that I should be entitled to because I said I did it. Correct. Okay. Now here's the thing, though, is that when you don't ask for permission, you better have a really good audit trail. Yeah. And so you need to just have documentation that backs up all of the position that you take. Okay. And if you do, then. Yeah, you can absolutely get all of the benefit of this without having to go to the Opportunity Zone police. Yeah, and I and I'm with you. I'm, I'm by no like all joking aside. I, I don't um, encourage people to be you know fraudulent or dishonest. But sure. I'm still going to ask this question because it's just human curiosity. How how often in your experience is this type of activity audited? Is it a real red flag to the government where people routinely are getting audited because it isn't regulated? Or is it one of those things where you go, listen, you should be a good person, even if people don't check up on you, but the reality is it never gets checked. Like, where are we at there? So it's a fairly, well, it's been around since 2018, but the real big benefit of this is the back-end tax forgiveness after 10 years. And so I don't anticipate that we're going to see a whole lot of audits on this probably until around 2028, 2029. But even then, the the improvements may not look so awesome at that point, right? Like sure. how could you, I you guess you could just look have, at the, the records, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the key is that as the person that's doing this, you have to have some reasonable documentation that backs up what you did. And if you have that in hand... How is an IRS auditor going to challenge that? They're not. What kind of documentation at a high level, right? 10,000 foot view. What kind of a documentation are we talking about here? Like contractor quotes or invoices or like invoices from the furniture store where you bought all your furniture for Airbnb. Like what do you, what are you typically telling people? You want to track your money. And so Mm -hmm. what I would say is, is that you definitely want to have all your bank statements for your opportunity zone fund and then your opportunity zone business. And you want to show how you spent the money because you also, inside of your QOZB, you've got 31 months to spend the money after you drop it in. And so inside of that, you want to want to make sure that your actual expenditures lines up with the plan that you had that showed how you were going to spend the money. And so that comes with receipts, that comes with you know a check, canceled check that you've paid to your contractor or to architects, engineers, that kind of thing. All of that. And as long as you've got that. And so what I recommend people to do is to create an audit trail folder that has all of that information inside of it. And then if they were to ever get audited, they'd say, okay, yeah, here it is. Here's where I put the money in. Here's where I spent the money. Here's the reason and the basis for how I spent the money relative to this 50% test. 
you know, and the doubling the basis of the value. And here's my backup for that. Yeah. And if you've got that buttoned up, you're going to, you're going to zing through that audit. You're going to sail through it. Okay. Let's say I'm a landlord that has a dozen properties that, that I own, that I rent out long-term. Is there some, how can I, what if I'm in an opportunity zone? Don't even know it. Like, how can people find out? And is there, can they kind of catch that all up or how, how, how could yeah, someone so that's take a really great question. Hey, and thanks. unfortunately, because of the, 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 what they were trying to do within the legislation was to cause new, uh, you know, new developments, but you can find out if you are in an opportunity zone at this at opportunitydb.com slash map. Okay. And you can actually plug in your address up here in this corner and you'll be able to, to easily ascertain because it's going to pop up as blue if you are. Okay. And so once they are in and they figure out that their property is inside of an opportunity zone. So this is the opportunity zone cheat sheet. And if you go to uh, ozpros.com, you can actually download this. This is basically opportunity zones on a page, right? Yeah. So we talked about that you have to have a capital gain. So that's the first thing is that you actually have to start your equity with a capital gain. It can't be just regular cash. And that capital gain needs to go into a fund within 180 days. Okay. We typically recommend that you have a separate structure that's like your operating company right here. And we call that a qualified opportunity zone business or a QOZB. Okay. And by putting your money into the QOZB, you meet this 90% test that's required up at the qualified opportunity fund level. So then once your money goes into the qualified opportunity zone business, you have to purchase... 70% of your tangible property needs to be qualified opportunity zone business property. And that's tangible property used in a trade or business acquired after December 31st, 2017 by purchase from an unrelated seller or by lease. And so that's the answer to your question. If you own property that's already in the zone, you're going to have to either lease it from yourself and you can do that. You can have a related party ground lease. Okay. Or you're going to end up needing to transact because it has to be bought after this thing went into effect. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Um, but then the trick, it sounds like, would be you have this this rental that presumably is renovated. You know, It's in good shape. Somehow you still have to sink that additional Correct. value into it at that point. So, Which can be a, which can be a challenge. Now, sure. Where this gets really interesting is anybody that has commercial property, even if they if they bought it prior to December 2017, and they're like, listen, I'm not going to fool with the ground lease or anything like that. I'm not going to do substantial improvements to this thing. What you can do in that instance is that anybody that leases from you inside of that commercial space is eligible to become a qualified opportunity zone business. And so they could attract investor dollars from other opportunity funds just because of the fact that they are a qualified opportunity zone business. Right. So it gets really fascinating that way. Wow. That is interesting. It's a whole new facet to it, that which is very cool. Dude, this is so interesting. And, and I think the, the, the thing about it is, this is where I, I applaud you because my brain or my, I shouldn't say my brain, maybe my brain, but my personality does not allow me to have the kind of insight into these details that you do. I just don't operate that well. And I think a lot of investors are that way. But I think 1031 exchanges are not 
they're they're pretty straightforward, but I think a lot of investors shy away because they don't understand them, right? And and when a, a confused mind says no, so I think somebody sure. like you, who I think a lot of investors have heard of opportunity zones, they know they're a fantastic opportunity, they just don't have the wherewithal to actually know everything themselves from the ground up. And so sure. somebody like you comes along and you you sort of specialize in this area that we can just plug into and kind of jumpstart and get a little like a cheat sheet, right? You just head it up on the screen. Like we can kind of leapfrog our way to the front of the learning line a little bit. And I think that's awesome. So if folks want to uh, reach out to you, if they want to find out how they can benefit from this, because the benefits at, are astronomical and at scale, they're insane, right? So somebody who's running a big business or has a lot of money and they really can really take advantage of this, we're not talking about a few thousand dollars savings at, you know, at some point. We're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. It can really go off the charts. So how can people find you if they want to learn more and, and get uh, more educated? So ozpros.com is our website. And on our website, we've got uh, access to a number of different products that we've had to put in place in order to execute on that vision of democratizing access. So I'm one guy and it's gray matter. And so there's lots of questions. <laughs> yeah. We've scaled that up with a number of other providers who are excellent at what they do. But as part of that, we've got an educational product that's on the website. So if somebody wants to purchase the educational product and do it on their own, they can. They can also sign up for Oz Works Group. We've got a link for that on the website. That's our virtual co-working center where people can interact with other people. And there's uh, lots of video clips and that kind of thing inside of there. And then finally, the piece is, is that you can set a strategy call with me or with somebody with our team. Now, we because of the the demand for this, we've actually had to make that a paid call. and But we've tried to keep the cost of that really, really, really down. And so if you're willing to kind of get into queue, we've got a strategy call that, uh, there's a, that, you know, that's out a little bit. And that's one price. And then we've actually got an emergency strategy call too. That if you're like, hey man, I got to talk to that guy tomorrow. That's smart. We've got one that's on the site. That's smart. And I do think it's, I, I think it's personally smart to charge for that call because uh, I, I'm sure you'd be getting a lot of, of wasted time of people who just want to you know, ask questions and never have any intention of doing anything. So I think sometimes when you pay, you pay attention. And so I think having a little 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 barrier to entry there is probably really, really smart. Um, okay, so that's Ozone pros.com. We're going to have all this in the show notes, guys, so don't freak out if you're driving. Uh, but I suggest you go there and look into this um, because there's just lots of savings to be had, right? All of us as real estate investors, we spend an inordinate amount of time learning how to acquire properties at a discounted price, which is super important. Yep. But then we sort of mail it in on the back end and we don't really pay attention to how much money we're keeping or how much money we're paying back the government. And there are ways to make things significantly improved on the back end. You just have to spend the time or or spend the time with somebody like Lee, you and let you help them help themselves keep more of that money and, and invest more ultimately. So, man, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. And it's uh, vastly interesting. It's way, way beyond my brain capacity, but that's cool because you don't ask us to learn it on this call. You you have uh, resources and uh, ways that we can go and get more information if we want it and DIY it a little bit or come in and plug into a bigger community where we can get answers to questions. So thanks for that. Thanks for the, uh, for that, uh, you know, uh, that, that structure that you've put in place for everybody. And thanks for yeah, your we time. Also, 
And we also will do it for them too, right? So we've got a done for you package where we put all of this together and it comes now to that's, one Now that's bundle. genius because you're yeah. talking to a community of people that really want it done for us because we want to go out and buy properties. We don't really want to have to invest tons and tons of time learning tech stuff. So um, man, thanks for doing this. I appreciate your time. I know time is super valuable. You're busy. I'm busy. Everyone's busy. So anytime uh, somebody like yourself will take a moment to hop on here and, and help out with my uh, audience and getting us a little smarter and a little more wealthy. I, I could not thank you more for that. So thank you for your time. Oh, it's a pleasure, Mike. Thank you for having me on the show. Awesome, man. We'll talk to you next time. All right, guys, I hope you took something away from that. I certainly did. Opportunity zones are a really great opportunity, right? No pun intended there or no play on words intended. Uh, it's something where uh, you can definitely utilize it to not only, you know, contribute to your tax situation, but also how to just save so much money. Like if you're doing this at scale or you're doing really big projects where the, um, you know, the profits are, are just going to be enormous. This is such a great way to hold on to more of that money, invest more of that money, and ultimately keep more of that wealth for yourself, which is the goal. So go and check them out. It's ozpros.com. That's where he is located. He has tons of resources, everything from do it yourself to done for you. And you can't ask for more than that. So go check them out, guys. Uh, get out there and make it happen, whether it's an opportunity zone or not. The goal is to keep going forward, progress over perfection. Get out there and make it happen. We'll talk to you next time.